Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey there. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Redemption. My name is Byron. I get the great privilege to serve here as the lead pastor and church planter. If you're a guest, thank you so much for spending your Sunday with us today. We're going to continue our series, Bold Words from Jesus' Brother, the study through the book of of James. And James' bold words for us today are going to be today and tomorrow. With that being said, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll dive right into the Scriptures. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Son, Jesus, who has come, entered into this world to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we deserve. But Lord, you save us from our sins, and you've also given us a new way to live, So Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit would empower us, inspire us, illuminate your word so we can live this new life, that we can live a life that matters, that we can live a life that counts, that we can live a life that leaves a legacy for the glory of God and for the good of others. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, okay, let me see all of my planners. Okay, how many of you, you love to make a plan? Thank you. Your type A personality, you're very driven, very goal-oriented, right? You love to use Excel spreadsheets, maps, chat, uh, charts, graphs, schematics. Go ahead, raise your hand. All my planners, where are you at? Where are you at? Good, good, good. You all just signed up for the serve team. So that's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. You're going to get on the schedule. You're going to love it, and we could totally use that. Now, how many of you are not planners? Right? You're like, oh boy. Yeah, we're in a lot of trouble. Um, and and so, so you don't know how to use a spreadsheet. Like You, you don't really know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. So, so okay, this is going to be good for all of us. That we're all going to need to learn from what James is going to be talking to about today. About how we should be careful and consider the plans in which we, we make. Because what's true is this. You can tell what's important to a person's life by what they give a plan to. And so for those of us who are married, right, you have a plan for your marriage, you think, okay, well, well, this is when we're going to get married, and this is how we're going to live our life. And so, so what kind of family are we going to be? What kind of husband am I going to be? What kind of wife am I going to be? Where are we going to live? You know, where are we going to work? Are we going to buy a house? Are we going to rent? Are we going to get a car? Are we going to be able to pay our bills? What are we going to do, right? So you're going to need to have a plan when it comes to your marriage. Now, some of you, you're single, and you're like, well, I don't really need a plan. Okay, no, no, you do. You really need a plan. You think, well, I can just stay up and just kind of go out and just kind of stay home and watch Netflix, hang out with friends, whatever. It's not really that big of a deal. No, singles, you need to listen to this because this is very important. The way you live today will determine the way you live tomorrow. And so you're going to need to start working on figuring out your, your plan. Others of us, we're in college. And so you're like, well, yeah, I have a plan for college, right? I'm going to go for four years, maybe six, okay. Maybe 12, anyone honest? Okay, yeah, okay. And, and so you're on that 12-year undergrad plan. And, and you're thinking, well, okay, I'm going to take 12 hours here, and then I'm going to take a summer off here, and then I'm going to make up for it with some summer courses, and then I'm going to graduate, and then I'm going to get a job, then I'm going to pay off my debt, then I'm going to get a promotion, and then I'm going to be on my way. At least that's the, that's the plan. Others of us, we are parents, and so we have, we have kids. And so uh, kids get most of the plans, Amen. And so kids, it's like herding cats. You got to get them together and you're like, oh, what are we going to do now? We got to get them up at this time. We got to get them out the door at this time. We got to get them to school here. We got to pick them up from soccer practice. Got to give them to ballet, hop in the van. We'll pick up Chick-fil-A on the way. At least that's the, the plan, right? You got to have a got to have a plan. And now when it comes to work, we have the same thing. So I got to be at work at this time. I get off at this time. Here's my opportunities. Here's my responsibilities. Here's my clients. Here's my list. Here's my, you know, promotion. And then 401k, you know, pension, retirement, life insurance, investments. You're like, oh my gosh, it can all be overwhelming sometimes, can it? 
Yeah, and so one person I heard say this. He says, a failure to plan is a plan to fail. And so you're going to need a plan. Some of you are like, well, I don't really need a plan. I'm just going to kind of live my life. Okay, that's, that's a plan. It's just a dumb plan for a dumb man, but it's still a plan. Like, that's your, that's your plan. And so, and so what James is talking to us about is something that is very important. He's talking to us about way, the way we spend our lives, the way that we plan, the way that we figure out who we are and what we're going to do and what we're going to accomplish and, and where we're going to be. And so the bold words that James is talking to us today is really just today and tomorrow. And so he wants us to be careful and very considerate about the plans that we make. And what James is going to tell us today is three things. So if you got your pen, got a little notepad, go ahead and write it down. Here's your little bullet points, all of you planners. He says that life is uncertain. Life is brief, but life is important. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going. Life is uncertain, life is brief, and life is important. And so here's what Pastor James starts off by telling his church. He says in chapter 4, verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow. So there's our words. Here's a question. Okay, here, here's the question. What are you going to do today? Do you, do you have a plan? Okay, well, you're here, right? right? You made it to church, so at least step one of the plan has been accomplished. Some of you were like, I'm going to go to the 930. And they were like, well, nope, never mind. I'm going to go to the 1115. That was some of your morning, but, but you're here. You, you made a plan. Do you know what you're going to do today? Do you know what you're going to do after the gathering? Like, are you going to go hang out with some friends? Are you going to go have lunch with family? Are you going to watch the Cowboys lose? What are you going to do? Uh, do you have a plan for what's going to happen after, after the gathering? Okay, here's, here's my family tradition. Every Sunday, we have a plan that me and my wife, we go over to our, my grandparents' house, and then we, we eat lunch together. They play with the baby, and then I cuddle up with Ashley on the recliner, and then we try to take a nap. At least we try. I mean, that's, that's the plan, but that's, but that's kind of what we do on Sunday. So do you have a plan for today? Okay, do you have a plan for tomorrow? Okay, what are you going to do tomorrow? Do you, do you know? Are you going to go to work? Are you going to, are, are you going to you know, get the kids to school? What's your plan for tomorrow? Tomorrow is also the, the middle of the month, so it's payday for some of us. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, right? And, and so what's your plan for tomorrow? What's your plan for next week, next month, next year? Right? How far out does your calendar go in advance? Okay, that's what James is, is getting at. Now, is James going to tell us today that it's a sin for us to make a plan? What do you think? Yes or no? You think he's going to tell us it's sin to plan? Some of you are like, I don't know last week. I don't know. Okay. Um, and, and so, so James is, no, James is not going to say it's a sin for us to make a plan because if James were to say that, he would be disagreeing with entire books of the Bible, books of the Bible, like the book of Proverbs, which is all about how wise it is for us to make a plan. And so that's not what James is getting at. So, so what is the problem? Why is James writing this to his church? Well, well, James continues. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow that we are going to go into such and such town and spend a year there and we're going to trade and we're going to make a profit. So you're saying, okay, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is, this is where I'm going to go. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to make all this money and I'm going to have my investments here and I'm going to get a job there and everything's going to be perfect. Okay, that's my, that's my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And James continues, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. That's the problem. That we make all of these plans, but we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. See, nobody really knows the future. Nobody really knows what the future holds. And yeah, we can make plans, and, and we, can, we can come up with ideas and estimates, and we can have our best guesses, but at the end of the day, that's really all they are is guesses. 
because nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow, what the future will bring. And so James continues, says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now that's a big statement. That is a really big statement. We're going to come back to that because we really need to talk about that. But we'll keep going. He says, verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, then we will live and then we'll do this and then we'll do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Wow, evil. All right, that's kind of a strong word, isn't it? Now, evil? Now, does, when you read this, doesn't it seem like, like James is kind of just being petty, like he's, he's picking on his church? Especially consider that last week he talked about murder and adultery. Okay, he, he's shifting gears here. He's going from you murder to mm, you plan for the future. And you're like, wait what? wait, what? It seems like James is just looking for reasons to get onto his church. But what he's really talking about is a really big problem, and it's very important. It's something that I see that is pervasive in the American church. And, and, and here's what it is. It's the difference between compartmentalization and contextualization. Okay, big word, so let me, let me explain that. Um, compartmentalization is when we separate our, our life into different aspects, into different areas. And then contextualization is where we integrate our faith into different aspects and areas of our life. So compartmentalization and contextualization. Big words. I want to make sure you get your money's worth. And so I have a, I have a graphic here that I want to show you um, just to be able to help you better understand it. So if you could throw the graphic up. Ah, uh, yes. So this is the way that most people tend to see their lives. Say it's like a pie chart, right? And you got different, different things that kind of take each person's place in each person's life. And, and so this is the way most people tend to view their life. Now, some of you, you have a really big pie chart with lots of slices because you have a large emotional capacity to be able to spread yourself into different areas and different places. And so very big. Some of you, mm, very little. Like you're like, I don't have a lot like to give any. Oh, okay. Um, some very large, some very little, but all of us, we kind of see our lives in some respect in, in this regard. So here's basically like, okay, so you have Jesus. Okay, good. That, that's important. Right? Make sure Jesus is on there. And then you have the other things in life that kind of take up a lot of your energy and investment. So you have like finances and you have work and then you have family and marriage and children and then you have your, your hobbies. And this is kind of the way that we tend to live our lives, that we compartmentalize it. And so, you know, on Sundays we wake up and we say, okay, it's the Lord's Day, I gotta go to church. And so we get up and we make a plan and then we, and then we go to church. And so Bible reading and prayer and devotion. And so, okay, that's that day. And then we wake up on Monday and then it's, then it's work. And so you're like, I, I gotta go to work. I gotta work nine to five. Um, and, and you kind of do the Monday through Friday thing. Gotta get the kids ready. Gotta send them off to school. Some of you, you're in college. And so you take Tuesday, Thursday classes. Maybe you wait tables. Maybe you work in the service industry. So you're kind of busy in the evening. Some of you, you're, you know, you're married. And, and so you're always kind of running around trying to figure that out. Some of you have kids, some of you're single, and you're like, I'm just going to watch Netflix, and parents never get to watch Netflix. But that's just typically kind of the way we spend our lives. And we wake up the next day, and we just do it all over again. And we've compartmentalized our life. But we'll come up with things like this, and we'll say, like, Jesus is the most important part of my life. Okay, now that sounds all fine and well. We've probably all said it or advocated it for it. You know, we get on Instagram and, and, and we take a picture of our Bible with the coffee cup and use a filter and we hashtag so that everyone can see that Jesus is an important part of our lives. And here's the problem with that is when I read the Bible, Jesus didn't come to be a part of our lives. 
See, the Christian life is an all or nothing life. That it's not Jesus and something else. That Jesus didn't come to be a part of our life. Jesus didn't say, I am the, he said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am the part of the way. He said, I am the truth. I am not a piece of the truth. He said, I am the life. I am not just a part or a piece of your life. Jesus said, I am life. And so when you compartmentalize your life, what you're really doing is, is you're separating your faith and your works. And that's the problem of James Church, is that they have separated their faith from their, from their works. And so instead of living a compartmentalized life, what we need is we need to live a contextualized life. And that's where we integrate faith into every aspect and area of who we are. So it's no longer Jesus and money, it's Jesus in our money. It's not Jesus and our marriage. It's Jesus in our marriage. It's not Jesus and our family. It's Jesus in our family. Not Jesus and work and culture and politics and the way that we see the way the world works and operates. It's Jesus in because Jesus is the center and everything exists to serve and revolve in orbit all because of him. And so that's the way that the Christian is supposed to see their lives. In James Church and in our church and subsequently most churches, we tend to compartmentalize rather than to contextualize. And what happens when that happens is, is you, you claim to be a Christian, okay, but you live like an atheist. That you claim to believe in God, but you live and make your decisions and you make your plans as if God doesn't exist. You say, no, 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 I, I, I pray. Okay, yeah, you may pray, but you live as if God doesn't exist. I go to church on Sundays. Okay, you, you may go to church on Sundays, but you live as if God doesn't exist. And, and so you, you, you separate what is sacred from what is secular, and you think, okay, well, well these are sacred things. So Bible reading and, and, and prayer and devotion and church and community group, well, those, those are my sacred acts, and so they're more private and then well this is my public life and so you know my money and my my job and my hobbies and my interests and my proclivities like that's all public and so it's not faith so it's public and my faith is to be private and we live our lives like this we come up with little clever sayings and we say well well I have a personal relationship with Jesus okay not in the Bible um, but what we tend to think is because it's personal it's private and it's nobody's business and nobody could tell me what to do and nobody could tell me how to live and nobody could tell me what I should believe and it's not really that big deal and it's not a big part of my life but it still is a part of my life see our personal relationship is not just to be a private relationship it's to be something we show and something we share and something that we integrate into every aspect of our lives and so we separate and say no God this is your day and then these are my days you see the danger in that you see the problem in that see the truth is is that what we believe as Christians has a direct impact on the way we behave as believers. That the Christian life is an integrated life to where God has rule and dominion and lordship over every aspect of who we are. The way we raise our kids, the way we, the way we marry, the way, that we, the way we date, the way that we work, the way that we make money, the way we spend money, the way we save money. All of it is to be centered around the person and work of Jesus. And so if we live a compartmentalized life, we're claiming to be Christians, but we're living like atheists. And so James says, okay, you have a plan, right? You have a plan? Okay, here's, here's the problem. <laughs> you forgot about the Lord. 
He said, okay, you, you laid it all out. You, you figured it out. You said, here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going to go. Here's who we're going to be. We're going to make this much money. And, you know, I ran the numbers. I made the Excel spreadsheet. Right? You know, I moved my family. We bought a new house. We got a new car. I got a new job. James like, okay, fine. There's only one problem. You forgot about the Lord. That you didn't even consider the Lord in all of your planning and preparation. Now, is James saying that it's sin for you to have a dream? No. Is James saying, well, it's wrong for you to have hopes and aspirations and visions and directions and goals in your life? Is James saying that? No, but there is a big problem when they don't involve the Lord. When you live for your will instead of for God's will. And so what James says instead, when you're making your plan, you should consider this. You should say, if the Lord wills. Because here's the truth of the matter. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's really going to play out because you're not God. Only God is God. And God's not going to allow anything to come into your life or work through your life that's not His will. And so He is sovereign and we are not sovereign. And so we should trust and turn and hope and look to him and see what his will is. And as I was praying this, I, this week, I was, I was really convicted about this because, because here's what I do so often in my life. I go to God and say, God, here's my will. Bless it. This is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. This is what I plan to accomplish. Okay, God, bless it. And then when it doesn't happen, I get frustrated. I get anxious. I get exhausted. I get overwhelmed. And I get angry at God. God, why didn't you do what I planned? God's like, uh, hello, what about me? What about the Lord's will? So instead of coming to God, getting God to bless your plans, what we should do is go to God, get God's plans, and then walk in His blessings. And that's what James is writing to his church because ultimately you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what tomorrow is going to hold because life is uncertain. Which leads to the second point James says is that life, life is also brief. Here's what he says. What is your life? Okay, that is a profound question, isn't it? What is your life? Who are you? What are you going to do? Why are you on earth? What are you going to accomplish? How do you want to live? What is your life? We wrestled with this a couple of weeks ago, and this really is the totality of philosophy and anthropology and theology around this single question. What is your life? And what we discovered is the meaning of life, the purpose of life is that we are to live for the glory of God and to enjoy Him in all things. And so James is kind of reminding his church, he's, he's wanting you to carefully consider what is your life. And this is what he says. He says, For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That is your life. That you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it's gone. How many of you, this is your new life verse? You're like, yes, this is the one I've been looking for, right? I am going to, I'm going to get this one tattooed on my arm, and this one's going to be the one that's going to really just show me who I am. I am but a mist. That's me. How many, anyone? Yeah, probably not. Um, it's not one that we really like to, to talk about, but it is something that we, we really need to think about because life is brief. And that everyone will die. 
and that you are here today and then you're gone tomorrow. Every single person who ever lived will, will die. Do you remember the first time you encountered death? The first time that you kind of came face to face with it? The first time it really clicked and really was like, wow, this is, this is real. Do you remember? I remember for me, um, I was about nine years old. And, um, and, and I was at school and the principal called over the intercom and was like, Byron, we need to see you in the office. And he was like, I didn't do it because um, normally I'm getting in trouble, but this time was a little bit different. And so um, they call me into the office and I go and I sit there and um, I'm waiting for my grandmother. And my, my grandmother, she comes to pick me up and she's crying. And I realize that there's, some, there's something wrong. And then she tells me that my Uncle Joe Pat was killed. And I remember thinking like, so I'm never going to see this man again. Now, I really loved my Uncle Joe Pat. I, I had a lot of fun with him. I loved his family. He lived out of town, but we'd get together for Christmas or holidays or birthdays. And he was a lot of fun. And I really, really enjoyed being around him. And I always called him my Uncle Joe Pat, but he would always interrupt me and be like, no, 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 I'm your great Uncle Joe Pat. And at the time, I thought he was just kind of like bragging about how amazing and awesome he is. But he's my grandmother's brother, which literally is my great uncle. But I didn't figure that out till later. But nevertheless, um, uh, and, and so my grandmother told me that um, he was out working and um, someone came and mugged him and they actually murdered him while he was on the job. And I remember going to the funeral and seeing everyone kind of around and people are crying and people are weeping. And I remember walking up to his casket and I remember thinking, that's not him. It looks like him, but it's not him. That his body's there, but his soul's not there. And there's just something something different about this. And I had the thought, I said, one day I'm going to be in a casket. Death was real for me then. It wasn't just something that I saw on television or, or read about in a book. It was somebody that I knew. I thought, this is someday going to be me. That I'm going to be in a casket. My friends and my family are going to be gathering around, around me. And I realized that we don't live forever. And like James says, we're here today and then we're gone tomorrow. And then the next year I got another phone call. Um, and this time it was my cousin Dustin. And he was out skiing with family and there was an accident and Dustin died. And me and Dustin, we hang out together all the time. We were like really good friends and we'd go spend the night at his house and go to Astros games together and we, we'd play baseball together. We spent a lot of time and then he's, he's gone. And I remember thinking, you don't have to be old to die. You can be young. Because he was about two years younger than I was. Life is brief. And life is uncertain. James wants us to consider our, our life from, from this perspective. And he says that our life is but a mist. It's a vapor. It's a breath. Normally on Sunday mornings I like to get up and go running like really early. Um, and, and so I, I get up about 5 o'clock and I go for a nice long run. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had our first Texas cold front come through. Praise God for cold fronts, right? And, and so it was a little cool outside and a little cold, and I get up and I don't think anything of it, so I go for a run. I make it to the end of the block. My hands are frozen. I'm numb. I can barely breathe. I'm like, I can't do this. So I, uh, I come back home and I think, well, okay, here's what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to sit on the back porch and I'm going to drink a cup of coffee. I'm going to watch the sunrise and I'm going to pray because I'm spiritual pastor. And so I'm going to do those things on Sunday mornings. And so I, I do, and I sit outside with my cup of coffee and I take a deep breath in and I take a deep breath out. And you know what I see? 
my breath. Just for a moment. Breathe it in. James says, that's your life. That. That you're here, and then you're gone. Today and tomorrow. And nobody knows when. Now you can hear this, and, and, and you, can, you can become discouraged. And you, there can be a lot of fear and anxiety and, and stress and worry that surrounds this idea of, of death. And you could think, oh no, everything that I've worked for, everything that I've strived for, everything that I've, I, I've fought for, and everything that I've saved up for, and all the people that I loved, okay, one day I'm going to die and they're all going to be gone. And there can be a lot of fear and anxiety and worry that surrounds the idea of death. And you can get discouraged or, or you could be encouraged because there's still life to live that you're still here and you still have an opportunity and you still have a way in which you can live to not waste it, to live a life that matters and to live a life that, that counts. And so there's still time for us to get right with the Lord, still time for us to make a plan, the Lord's plan, still time for us to live. But here's the reality is life is uncertain. Life is brief. But James' third point is this, that life is important. Okay, you only get one shot. You only get one chance. You only get one try. There's only one trip around the sun. You don't, you don't reincarnate and come back and you get to live life differently. This life is all that you got. And you're not even guaranteed that. That you could be here today and then you're gone tomorrow. Nobody knows, which means the way you live your life matters. The way that you live your life is important. The way that you invest your time, the way that you spend your money, the way that you live your life, it really does matter. And so we need to live a life that counts because it is important. But if you're like me, here's what happens. Things that don't matter often rob you of the things that do. Things that aren't really that important crowd out the things that are most important. And this is why James is writing and talking to his church. And he wants you to know that life Life is important. Here's how he says it in verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, that is sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, that is sin. So here's the question. What are you doing right now with your life? It's not really important. What consumes your life, your energy, your effort, your emotions? That's robbing you of what's most important. What is that thing in your life to where when you stand back at the end of all things and everything becomes really clear, you realize it didn't even matter. James says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him that is sin. See, um, John Piper, he, he writes this book called Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, it is an amazing book. I would recommend every single person to read it. And it's really kind of built off of this because Piper's talking about us wasting our life and James is talking about his church wasting their life. And, and he gives this illustration about um, what a wasted life looks like. And in the illustration, it, it's not a heroin addict. Okay? It, it's not a homeless person. It's not the prostitute. It's not the atheist. Kind of the big things we like to make the big deals about in the church. He said, that's not, that's not the problem. He said, a wasted life is this. An, an elderly couple who took an early retirement to spend the last days walking along the beach collecting seashells. 
And now you hear that, and you're like, well, what's the big deal about that? Like, they're just kind of doing what they want. Just kind of living out their last days. Just kind of hanging out. Like, that's, the, that's what we all want. That's the dream. Retire early and just kind of live the rest of your life. And he says, that's a wasted life. And, and here's the reason why. Because on the day of judgment, when they have to stand before the living and the holy God, he says, what did you do with the life that I gave you? What did you do with the breath that I put in your lungs? How did you invest the life that I gave you? And on the last day, all they'll have to say for themselves is, look at my seashells. You think God's impressed with seashells? He made them. He's like, I got a billion of them. I only have one of you. What did you do with the life that I gave you? If you know what's right and you fail to do it, that's, that's a wasted life. It's, it's wasted. It's being so caught up and so consumed. And things that in the end don't really matter. He says, a wasted life is this. When the temporal or the material takes the place of the eternal. When what doesn't really matter robs you of what matters the most. Notice here, James doesn't say, sin is what you do. Okay, we all know that, right? Sin is what you do. Okay, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't smoke crack. Got it, okay. James says, no, 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 no. Sin is what you failed to do. So what is it in your life that you keep saying, maybe tomorrow? Not today, God. Okay, I'm just going to kind of do that. Maybe, maybe tomorrow, maybe, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year, maybe when I got a little bit more money, maybe when I get a little bit more time, maybe when I get another job, maybe when I get a promotion, maybe when I get a house, maybe when I get married, then finally, that's what... Okay, I'll let you in on a little secret. If it's not important to you today it won't be important to you tomorrow. If it doesn't matter now, it's not going to matter when it matters the most. And you say, well, if I just have more time, (laughs) seriously, if I have more money, okay, there's never enough money and there's never enough time. The truth is this. Nobody finds time. You make time. And people make time for what's most important. Your life is important, and it's too important for you to waste. And so James is talking to his church about how they're wasting their life. Piper's talking to us about how we're wasting our lives. And so I want to talk to you about how to avoid a wasted life. Because this life really does matter. It really is important, and it is uncertain, and it is brief. And so I want to pull out five principles from James in which we can talk about how do we avoid living a wasted life? And the first thing that James says is this. He says, don't be arrogant. Okay, don't be arrogant. Don't go around and say, well, here's what I plan to do and here's where I'm going to go. And then in 10 years, this is the way my life's going to be. And everybody come look at me and see all the things that I bought and see the life that I live. And you think that I'm really important. James says, you're not important. You're arrogant. He says, don't boast in your own works. Don't be arrogant in your own life because you're not God. You're not God. You don't control the future. Now, yeah, you can influence the future. Or you can think, well, I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to go for a run. Or you could get hit by a bus. I mean, you don't even really know what tomorrow is going to hold. So don't be so arrogant in assuming that you get to create and live and control your own destiny. Instead, we need to be humble. We need to go to God and seek the Lord's will. God, what do you want me to do? God, who do you want me to be? God, how do you want me to, to live? So James starts off and he just says, don't be arrogant. And then number two, he says, for us to trust, trust the scriptures. Okay, now, th- there's some things that you don't have to go to God and ask God. 
What, what do I need to do? God, what, what should I do? There's some things you just don't have to go and ask. Okay, because he's revealed it to us in his word. That God has revealed himself to us through his word. And so we know who God is and we know what to do because we are people who, who trust, trust the scriptures. And so you don't have to be like, God, I don't really know what to do. I mean, God, should I? I'm wrestling with this. I'm struggling with this. God, should I love my neighbor? God's like, yeah, it's in the book. Read the book. You're like, I don't know, God, what should I do? Should I stop sleeping with my girlfriend? And God's like, yes, it's in the book. First Corinthians, if you need to read it, it's in the book. Okay, read the book. And some of you are like, I don't know, God, what should I do? Should I become a member of a church and serve and see something grow and plant myself in one place? And God's like, yes, it's in the book. Read the book. There's some things that we don't have to ask God for because he's already told us if we would just trust the scriptures. And so as Christians, we're people who, who trust the scriptures. We, we come back to it and say, okay, God, this is what you say. This is how I'm going to live. God, this is, this is who you are. This is the way I'm going to be. And God, this is what you want. And God, that's what I'm going to do. I may not understand it, okay, but I know that it's good and I can trust it. And so as Christians, we're people who trust the scriptures. But um, there's some things that aren't in the Bible. Okay? There's some things about life that you're not going to find in the Bible. Now, most of the big questions and things that we wrestle with are in the scripture, but there's some things, some things that aren't, okay? And this is why we need to seek wise counsel. I can tell some of you are like, what? Something's not in the Bible? Let me give you an explanation. Okay, um, the Bible says marriage is a good thing, okay? The Bible says that um, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen, men? Amen, right? This is your moment. Please get all your husbands, amen. Trying to get you out of the doghouse from this week. So um, the man who finds a wife finds a good thing. And then, but it doesn't tell us who we're to marry, right? It says this is what marriage should look like, and this is what husbands and wives should be like, but it doesn't tell us who we are to marry. Because when I was getting ready to marry Ashley, I, I read the whole Bible, and I'm like, her name's not in here. Um, so we're going to need to seek wise counsel. So we go to people that we trust to, to speak life into us. And the Bible says that children are a blessing, okay? Yeah, but it doesn't tell us how many blessings to have. Right, two, four, six, ten. You're like, oh God, I'm gonna need to get some wise counsel on that on that regards. And here's here's what I mean by wise counsel. I mean older men and women who are a little bit more seasoned in life. They have a little bit more experience. Maybe elders, maybe leaders, maybe people on our prayer team, mentors, community group leaders, um, people who have the ability to speak into your life, and they have the courage and the confidence to tell you no. See, this is what I don't mean by wise counsel. Your 20-year-old idiotic friends who are making the same stupid decisions you are. If you're just hanging out at Luke's at 2 o'clock in the morning, they're like, good job. Like, that's a great idea. Like, that's the way that we should live our lives. I don't even know what I'm doing. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them. Okay? If your community groups, Jack Daniels, Jose Cuervo, and Johnny Walker, like, it's not going to end good for you. And so, so, so you need to seek wise counsel. You need to look for people who have the courage and the confidence to tell you no. One of the most dangerous things I see in many people's lives is that they surround themselves with people who only tell them yes. Who only say, oh, that's a great idea. You should totally go do that. And, and what's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing is you end up wasting your life. That's the worst thing. You need to surround yourself with people who have the ability to speak into you. And you need to have the ability to listen to wise counsel. Then number four, we need to be led by the Spirit. James talks about the Spirit a few times throughout this book. And as Christians, we are people who make our plans in pencil. Okay, because we never know when the Holy Spirit's going to show up. 
And so we need to make a plan, but we need to make our plan in pencil because God is wanting to, to, to use you and to work through you and to work in you in this world. And so we need to be willing to be led of the Spirit because when you become a Christian, God himself takes up residence in your life. That God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to direct us and to shape us and to tell us how we are to grow. And so we need to be people who listen and are led by the Spirit. What this looks like is you wake up tomorrow morning, you say, okay, God, here's my plans for the day, but I'm, I'm willing to let you change them. Is there anybody that I need to love? Is there anybody that I need to serve? Is there any way that I can help another person? Is there any way I can pray for someone? Is there any way that I can obey you today? And so we go to God with our plans instead of telling God what our plans are, and then we are led of the Spirit. And then number five, which is very important for us to establish our priorities. Okay, remember, okay, we're not compartmentalizing our life, we're contextualizing our life. And so everything is to be Christ-centered. And so our priority is, is Christ. That as Christians, that is our priority. And so it's constantly going back to the cross, constantly going back to, to the Bible and saying, okay, God, this is how I'm going to live. I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to join a group. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to give and serve and love. And God, I'm going to keep following, keep walking with you. Christ-centered is our first priority. And then everything kind of flows out of our relationship with Jesus into each area of our lives because we're not compartmentalized, we're contextualizing. And so what I notice in my life and many others' life is that when things fall out of priority, the first thing we cut is God. When work gets overwhelming, when, when, when kids get stressed out, when, when things are kind of piling in, we say, well, okay, well, I can't pray here and I, you know, I can't read my Bible anymore because I don't have enough time and then I, I can't go to community group and I can't serve and I can't go to church. And so the first thing we cut out of our busy lives is God himself. Our priorities get out of line and we, we miss that Christian is our first priority, loving, serving, following Jesus, because that is where everything flows from. He is life. And so we move from there. And for me, it's husband. But here's the deal. If I'm not a good Christian, I can't be a good husband. Because the Bible says that, that as a husband, my job is to love Ashley like Jesus loves the church. And if I'm not loving Jesus, I can't love Ashley. And if I'm not connected to him, I can't be connected to her. And so we'll get in fights and we'll get in arguments and she'll be like, Byron, you're not praying or reading your Bible, right? I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay, you go do that and then we'll come back and we'll finish the fight. Um, because she knows, and she's the first one to be able to tell when I'm not walking out my spiritual disciplines. And, and marriage is my greatest ministry. Because at the end of my life, she's going to be the one holding my hand, not you. At the end of my life, around my hospital bed, it's going to be her. Right? It's not going to be all the accolades and all the sermons and all the podcasts and all the websites. That's, that's not going to matter. Marriage is my greatest ministry. And for you men, marriage is your greatest ministry. For you women, marriage is your greatest ministry. And some people, you want to go off, I'm going to go be in ministry. Okay, yeah, do that. But marriage is your first ministry. Because you got to take care of your home. And then from there, it becomes father. Right? I need to be a good dad. I'm the only man in my little girl's life. What do you think about that? And she wants to know what does it look like to follow Jesus? Like that's my that's my job. It's my job to teach her. 
It's my job to raise her. It's my job to, to tell her, this is what a church should look like, and this is what you look for in a husband, and this is kind of how you pay your bills, and this is where we're going to go to college. And it's my job to help her navigate through all those decisions. And if I abdicate my responsibility, I've not done my job. And so I need to be a good dad. And then from there, it comes down into the church. Okay, now, um, most people cut church, right? Um, for me, it's kind of like my job, my calling, quotations. And so when I get really, my priorities are, I just keep giving and giving and giving and going towards the church. And so I love serving here. I love being your pastor. I love preaching the Bible. I love teaching. I love being able to walk with you through all of life's up and downs and, and celebrate and, and weep and mourn through the difficulties that we have. Um, and, and so my problem is, is I get so visionary, so focused, so goal-driven, so oriented and saying, this is what we're going to do. And God, this is what's going to be amazing. And God, this is where we're going. Like the church is going to reach 500 people in the next five years. We're going to grow by, you know, 20%. We're going to make budget. We're going to buy a building and we're going to baptize new people. And we're going to raise up new leaders and we're going to raise up new deacons. We're going to start art projects and live worship albums. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so great. Come on, get on, get on, get on. And God's like, what about your wife? What about your kids? What about your relationship with me? So my priorities get so out of focus. Because the Bible gives me a job description. We talked about it before in Titus. It says that if I am not, it says that an elder is to be a, what does he say? A one woman man. And that our homes are to be orderly. And what Titus teaches is if you can't lead the little family, you can't lead the big family. If you can't lead the little family, you're not going to be able to lead, to lead the big family. And so, you know what? I, I need to repent to you as your pastor. I have not loved you well. Because I have not loved my wife well. And I have not loved my little girl well. That I have sacrificed my family on the altar of ministry. And the truth is, is I can't love you if my priorities are out of line that God will not continue to move and to grow and continue to bless if our priorities remain out of focus. And so here's what me and Ashley decided. At the end of the day, it's done. Because family matters. It's a priority. The phone rings, it'll go to voicemail. My problems are going to be there tomorrow. Hey, why do I freak out? Why do I stress out? Why do I get so anxious, so exhausted, so overworked, so overwhelmed on things that I can't even control? Life is uncertain. Life is brief. But life is important. And so I'm going to spend time with my family and I'm going to spend time with the Lord and if the Lord wills, the church will continue to be the church. So that's what I'm going to do. So here's my question. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with the life that God gave you? How are you going to live? How are you going to invest? How are you going to spend? How are you going to not waste your life? That's what James is asking his church. That's what James is trying to get the point across. And this is a big lesson that James learned from watching his big brother Jesus. And that James was the little half-brother of Jesus. And James would have been there for all of this. James learned this lesson firsthand from life with, with Jesus. 
And, and Jesus had a lot of big decisions to make. Jesus needed a lot of wisdom. Jesus had a lot of plans in his life. And so Jesus never wasted his life. Every minute, every moment was intentionally invested to bring glory to God and to enjoy him forever. And so, so how did Jesus live his life? James knows. Because James saw him when he was in elementary school. James saw him go into to junior high. He saw him get a job with Joseph, swinging a hammer. James saw him enter into public ministry before he was preaching, teaching, healing, all the miracles. James was there. And so James is cluing us in on something that his big brother Jesus taught. So have you ever wondered how did Jesus live his life? How did Jesus invest his life? How did Jesus serve through his life? Why did Jesus do the things that he did? Well, well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 6, and here's what he says. He says, for I have come down from heaven. So this is Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, existing in eternity past, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God himself enters into human history to live the life just like you and me, with all the limitations, with all the emotions, with all the efforts, all of life just like us. And so why did he do it? What did he do? And here's what Jesus says. Not to do my own will. Okay, that's the problem. We all want to do our will, what I want, what I need, how I live. We want to do my will. And Jesus himself says, no, 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 that's not why I came. I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. That everything Jesus did was the will of the Father. And think about it. The doctrine of God becoming a man in the person of Jesus is actually very humbling. And that's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus humbled himself, which means he laid aside his divine attributes. For a season, he took on limitations that you and I feel as mankind. And, and, and so while Jesus walked the earth, he wasn't omnipotent. He wasn't all-powerful. There was limitations to his strength. There's only so much that he could do in a in a day. And that's why the Bible tells us he often withdrew to silence and solitude and he practiced the Sabbath. And that's why Jesus had to, had to pray. And Jesus even took a nap. Okay, so Jesus wasn't omnipotent. He also, he wasn't omniscient, all-knowing. There was things that in this life Jesus didn't know. And so he had to, he had to learn. 252 of Luke says that he grew in wisdom and stature. And so there were some things that Jesus had to learn. He had to read his Bible. He had to seek wise counsel. He had to learn from others. And Jesus also, he wasn't omnipresent. He wasn't everywhere all the time for everyone. He was one man in one place, with one life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so, so Jesus was limited in the things that he could do. But Jesus did not waste his life. Every minute, every moment was intentionally invested and so Jesus says, I only came here to do the will of the Father. And just, just think about that. Did Jesus do everything? No, not in his life. I mean, did Jesus heal? Yes. Did he heal everybody? No. He didn't heal everybody. There's entire cities and towns and regions he went to. He preached and then he, he left. He didn't heal people there. Why did Jesus have 12 disciples and not 17 disciples? Okay, well, because that wasn't the Lord's will. Why did Jesus feed 5,000, not 12,000? Because that was not the Lord's will. Jesus said, the only thing that I do is what the Lord wills. And so Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. Jesus died the painful death that, that we deserve. And Jesus goes to the cross, and on the cross he cries out, it is finished, and that he accomplished everything that God had sent him to do, and he did it with 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it only took him about 33 years. Because Jesus invested all of his life, all of his days, all of his time, all of his effort in 
the Lord's will. And so that's Jesus' life. So what about our life? What are we doing with our life? How are we spending our time? How are we spending our energy and our efforts and our investments? What are we doing with our, with our lives? Because life is uncertain. Life is very brief. And life is very important. Listen, Redemption, sometimes I get really worried for many of us because I see you stressed and anxious and worried and exhausted about things that in the end aren't really going to matter. The things that consume our calendars and our days and our bank accounts and our finances in the end, not really even that big of a deal. Because at the end of your life, when you're sitting in that hospital bed, nobody's going to be like, what was your GPA? Nobody's going to be like, well, let me see your resume. At the end of your life, nobody's going to be like, bring me all my new clothes. I want to wear them one more time. I want to look at my watch. At the end of life, you know what people say? I wish I would have given more to the Lord. I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard, and I wish I wouldn't have cared what other people thought about me, and I would have had the courage to live a life that matters. I want for us to, when we stand before the Lord, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't waste your life, you invested it. You did everything that I asked for you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Well done. Now here's the good news, redemption. We're still here. At least you made it to the end of the sermon. So that's a good thing. How long are we here? I don't know. We're here today and then we're gone tomorrow. Nobody knows when their time's up. But some of you, you've been pushing God off for a very long time. You keep saying tomorrow. I'm not going to live for God today. Maybe I'll live for God tomorrow. Maybe I'll live for God when I graduate college. Maybe I'll live for God when I get married and my wife drags me to church. Maybe I'll live for God when I have kids or when I get a house or when I retire or when everything seems to work out right. Maybe tomorrow, friend, you're not even guaranteed today. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Don't push God away. Some of you, you need to get right with the Lord now. You need to make this decision today. Make it now. Don't wait. Don't waste your life. And so we need to consider our life from the way James teaches it. It's a very important word. It's a very practical word, but it's, it's a word that causes us to consider our priorities. And so the band's going to come up. We're going to close and we're going to move forward. But I, I want you guys to really consider your life. What does it mean? Who are you? What are you going to do? And then I want you to live for the Lord's Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.